Hi, friends. Welcome to The Faithful Podcast, stories of people who walk by faith and gained a fuller understanding of the faithfulness of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Baker. My guest today is Carly Robertson. Carly is a wife, a mom, and the founder of a Christian mentoring organization. Carly is from rural Missouri, but she shares how she felt God calling her to move into the community and to love her neighbors in South Dallas. So here is my interview with Carly Robertson. Carly, thanks so much for coming on the Faithful Podcast today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Carly, um, you and I met when I when we worked at Kids Across America in mm-hmm. like 2004, I think. It was a while ago. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. (laughs) Yeah, quite a while ago. Um, And we both really loved our time there. And I loved getting to spend time with you. I think we spent a lot of our days off together and running around Missouri and Arkansas Mm -hmm. area, enjoying our time. Yeah. But anyway, thanks so much for taking your time today. Yeah. No, I'm glad to be here and chat with you. Sure. So, Carly, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to lately. Yeah. um, Well, I live in Dallas um, with my husband, Jamal, and our kids, Naomi and William. Um, They are four and two. Um, I came to Dallas about 15 years ago by way of uh, central Missouri, actually. Uh, Mm. That's where I was for the first 25 years of my life and then came to Dallas. And then within a couple years of being in Dallas, um, started serving through my church in a, uh, community of Dallas called South Dallas. Mm -hmm. And then, um, started an organization there and moved into the community. And so, um, I had a, a long season of, um, about 12 years working in full-time ministry and about, um, eight, eight or nine of those living in the community. And then now, um, my husband and, um, Naomi and William, we live in South Dallas. Uh, but my, I am not, um, actually in ministry work any longer. Um, stayed home for a while while I had my kids and work a little bit part-time now, but we are now just in a season of trying to live intentionally and, um, Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe some would say missionally, but, live um, intentionally in a community that um, is definitely very different than a very different um, culture and community than um, where I grew up and was um, familiar with in my life. But so we live there. My husband is in ministry um, there uh, part-time in the neighborhood as well. That's awesome. Um, But yeah, we just raise in these crazy little kids right now and um just trying to survive Um, a pandemic I guess yeah (laughs) yeah that's great um I think you yeah you summed up a whole lot in a short short phrase with a couple of phrases and we're going to get into that a little bit more because um I really want to chat about this decision to leave Missouri for one, but also Mm. even once you were here in Dallas to choose a community that um, I'm sure you were probably cautioned against moving into the area Mm. um, just because you might stick out and maybe it wasn't, you know, a lot of things, but we're going to get into that Mm -hmm. a little bit more later. So Mm. tell, tell us how you came to know Jesus. Yeah. um, So I would say um, I'm, I'm probably in the 90 to 99% uh, sure that that was um, as a young child in um, the, the uh, I don't know, around the fourth grade, being at a vacation Bible school. Um, I grew up in a really small town. I went to one church and then some of my friends were down the street at another church. And it was at that um, uh, other church's vacation Bible school where there was a very, um, good and clear communication of, um, of not just that Jesus died, but why he died. And just, um, I, you know, it was, it was good communication and, or the Lord opened my eyes to just see, Mm -hmm. um, that why I needed a savior. And so I knew the things that I 
uh, or I just saw sin in my heart from, you know, maybe the way I treated my little sister or things that I did when my parents weren't around or whatever that was. Yeah. Um, and went home and, um, uh, actually remember that the, the person leading our vacation, my, whatever class I was in for that fourth grade class or whatever, didn't even ask us to pray a prayer with, mm-hmm. with her in that class, but just said, Hey, you can, um, pray and, you know, tell Jesus that you, um, know that you need him and you want him to be um, your savior and the Lord of your life anytime you want to do that. And so I think I did that later that day at home and uh-huh. um, was kind of emotionally overcome with like, or I guess it was conviction really of like, I am, I am a sinner. I, I see what she's talking about there. And so uh-huh. I would say that's probably, um, probably when that happened, only the Lord knows, but um, I'm in a, a very, very, very small town where um almost everyone would claim to be Christian and go to one church or another. And um, I didn't personally, I wouldn't say I really grew a lot in that walk with the Lord other than going to church and doing things with youth groups and things like that. Um, And that then in college was just challenged a little bit more with the campus ministry and challenged to take the relationship with the Lord more seriously, not a, kind of list of to do's. And Uh then I would say, you know, actually, um, going into full-time ministry was kind of this other level of like, Oh, okay. Like, I (laughs) think I was saved before now, but Lord, you're, um, tearing away a lot of things and, and, and reforming a lot of things in me that, um, you know, was just kind of, I guess, um, some benchmarks, but, uh, or some Uh major, um, areas of, um, being challenged or growing. But I think when I was a young child is probably when that happened. Yeah. I think that's, that's awesome that, you know, we hear a lot of time, like the phrasing that like, um, you know, salvation's like a process kind of thing. And I think that, you know, heading down a road that you intentionally decided on, like maybe when you were first a child is when you first started heading down this road, but like, you know, Thank goodness that that's not the end of our story, that God is still refining and shaping. And I think that's kind of what you described. Like sometimes the more, the more you think, you know, the more you realize you don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and there's just, there's just so many, we're just going to be growing and needing to understand the Lord more and needing to repent of mm. our sin and, and grow as long as we're alive. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, and you, sh- and we, we, we grow up and do things worse than just shove our little sister down. Um, <laughs> it, it gets worse, but the Lord still loves us. So, well, thank God yeah. for that because, uh, yeah. I've done some things that are far more hurtful than the the, the really mean <laughs> things I did as a sister. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Or even toward my parents. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so you and I met at Kids Across America. This is a camp. Um, and several of my guests have been former KAA people. And um, mm-hmm. it's a camp that's specifically geared for, um, they say, I think they call it urban youth generally. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times it's geared toward kids that live in low-income areas. Um, so, yeah. But after college, you began to work in South Dallas. Um, you kind of mentioned mm-hmm. how you were originally brought to Dallas, but um, how did that first come out? And then uh, tell me how you felt called to this work that you um, would later do in South Dallas. Yeah, Um so I, I I just got a job in Dallas. That's why I moved after college to um, the city. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, shortly after that, I started going to a church in um, North Dallas or or um, in the the actually suburbs um, north of Dallas. And um, I had a degree in education and had mm-hmm. wanted to well. Yeah, I had thought I would teach in um, an inner city neighborhood. Um, oh, the movie Dangerous Minds had a major <laughs> impact on my life. Um, but it's a movie, just like fairy tales and all those things. It, um, it doesn't always um, turn out that way. But um, so I, uh, I did teach in Missouri shortly before I moved to Dallas. But I still had this 
uh, draw and this heart towards the urban context. Um, I had actually ended up kind of randomly in a, a course in college that was, it was an English class, but it was also um, through the Black Studies Department. It was um, Black literature. And then I ended up taking a couple history courses um, because I was um, majoring in social studies education that were um, history of Africa, African-American history, uh-huh. and ended up getting a minor in um and getting a minor in black studies and then as well as going to work at kids across America and, uh, and being in, uh, you know, around, um, uh, youth from, um, urban settings, even though I did not grow up in, in or anywhere near a major city or, um, an urban area. Yeah. Uh, But I, so when I moved to Dallas, I just still had this desire and this draw to, want to be connected in, to an urban area, either by eventually becoming a teacher or serving through the church or whatever it was. And so as it turns out, when I visited a church about six m- months after moving to Dallas, they sang some songs and then the lights went down and there was a video and it was like a five minute video of um, a pastor at a church in South Dallas that um, the 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 church that I was at in the northern suburbs. And if, if you know anything about Dallas, um, everything north of downtown is primarily white and more financially well off than uh-huh. in general things south of downtown Dallas. Um, and so I was in the north at a primarily white middle class church, but they showed this video of their partnership with a church in South Dallas. And um, I ended up staying at that church for 10 or 11 years, but to this day, I can't tell you what the pastor preached that day. Um, but I remember seeing that video mm. and being like, Oh, okay, Lord, I'm in this city. I'm not, um, the inner city teacher that I thought I would be. Um, but you brought me here and now I have an opportunity to go serve, um, in this, um, neighborhood next Saturday or whatever it was. It was more about this kind of summer uh, summer opportunity to go down um, to the neighborhood on some Saturdays to serve at the church in in the neighborhood, and so that's that's kind of how it started um, for me. And then it was through that church that uh, that that pastor that was actually on the video uh, began talking to to myself and some of my friends, um, you know, single twenty somethings with a lot of time on our hands, um, and just asked us if we would consider. Um, mentoring some of the teenagers in his church. Uh-huh. And so from there, I just began um, kind of organizing and coordinating a group of 20 or 25 of us that were matched up, uh, kind of, you know, big brothers, big sisters style um, of mentoring, picking them up and going bowling or doing different things, going to the library, working on homework and stuff like that. And so I was doing that um, on a, as a volunteer and then a friend of mine connected me with a ministry in another part of the city in another urban area that had a actual um, nonprofit Christian mentorship program that was um, also in a, you know attempting to be um, sort of discipling um, in ways um, of, of the kids that they mentored. And so that's how the Lord just I, I didn't have a. Uh, he didn't come to me in the night. I didn't have a dream or some yeah. um, big like revelation of 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 starting um, a um, a nonprofit and a, a mentorship program. But he just kind of led me one step at a time, and um, I quit my job about a year after doing it as a volunteer. And uh, he, you know, just provided a, a lawyer from my church did our application for the 501c3. Um, some people agreed to be on the board. The church um, started giving us a little money and helping me um, grow and in, in just understanding how to raise more money and how to um, run a nonprofit, which is something that I wasn't familiar with at all. So I'm in a, a neighborhood and a community and a culture that I'm not real familiar with um, or have no background in, but then also starting a quote unquote 501c3, which I just uh-huh. kind of pretended like I knew what that was the first few times somebody <laughs> threw it out and then <laughs> looked it up later when I got home. Like, okay, guess this is what I'm doing. But. Yeah. So 
Yeah. How how did it? I mean, I I'm curious how you kind of began to be leading this. Um, so, like, I mean, you're you're just this single girl in a new mm-hmm. a new city. Um, I mean, I don't know at what point this kind of happened, but yeah, you know, you're you're kind of a fish out of water in a lot of ways. Like you're out of your con- your original context, but you're now you know. Then there's this space of time, and then you're leading this. Um, you're yeah. founding this nonprofit. So, how did that happen? Like, you know, you mentioned yeah. a few people along the way, but I'm just curious, like for you personally. No, that that's a a really good question. I mean, there's I think four really practical things that have come to my mind just while you were phrasing that question. But I mean, God just kind of aligned a lot of things with um, the, you know, the, a, a new, uh, I guess he was like a missions pastor at the time at the church that I was going to in, mm-hmm. in the, the um, North Dallas area that he just had a really, uh, he had a background in, um, uh, like starting businesses. I mean, he was just very okay. entrepreneurial. So that was his mindset and his mentality. And he, he told me, you know, pretty quickly after I started volunteering, um, and matching people up with mentors, he was getting emails as well from people at the church that wanted to mentor and he was sending them to me. Um, but he also, you know, said, Hey, you know, we've got room in our budget to hire you on a part-time basis to do this for the church and mm-hmm. kind of lead out in our partnership in that area. Or you can get your 501c3 is probably the first one that said it. You can start mm-hmm. an organization and we can just funnel that that money instead of hiring you. We can use it and then you would be able to grow and and grow an organization um, instead of just being on our staff and kind of limited to what we would have you do and in, in the mentoring stuff, you know, when you could. And so yeah. him, um, his name is Joe Ader. I'll give him um, the credit for really being used, used by the yeah. Lord um, with that just entrepreneurial uh, mindset and mentality. And yeah, at the time I was probably 25 and, you know. You're like, sure, country- I can run a nonprofit. <laughs> <laughs> Punch from the country, yeah. Warsaw, Missouri. Um, I, I mean, I had a, a college degree in education, but, um, sounds like yeah, you're perfectly then, qualified to run an urban nonprofit. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Lord. What, no, I what think it's, uh, I think it's amazing. Um, that's, I, I, I'm saying that as a like praise to God, like that's so cool yeah. that, you know, yeah. that he, he chose to use you in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, uh, well, thank you for that. Um, then the other person would be the man who had founded, the other organization in West Dallas, his name is Trey Hill. And my friend, um, a friend actually that I had worked at Kids Across America also had mentioned that he ran, had started and ran a a mentoring organization in West Dallas called Mercy Street. And he was like, you should meet him. And so Trey, I emailed him and I think he had time to meet with me a week later, which was kind of crazy and in running a pretty big, well, I mean, a good sized organization at the time. And he, um, just told me his life, how, how he got there, what their, their heart was for West Dallas, which is just very demographically and economically similar to South Dallas. Um, and I actually asked him because the third thing that I would say is that I was ready to leave my job. I was a admissions rep for the university of Missouri and Uh it's good job to get to another city and chill for a little bit, but you don't stay in that type of job for very long. Yeah. So I was in like my, my third year or something um, that will come into the fourth um, thing, practical thing. But so uh-huh. Trey um, told me all about it and I um, actually told him like, Hey, I'm, I'm actually ready to move on from my job. So why don't I give my notice and then you hire me and send me to South Dallas to mm. do what, what you're doing over there. And he very, very graciously and kindly told me, no, essentially just said, well, you know, I don't think we're ready to do that, but I would love to help you any way that you can. If, if you, and, um, if the church is already, you know, encouraging you to do this, let me know how I can help, but we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that ourselves. And so, um, that was a great, 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 great lesson from the very beginning of urban ministry and learning how to say no. And just, yeah. you, you have to say no to a lot of things. If you're mm-hmm. going to say yes to some things, you have to say no to 
a lot of others. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so Trey, um, just became a very influential person in my own life and in, um, beginning Champions of Hope in South Dallas. And then the fourth thing was just the fact that that was actually this kind of fall season of, uh, college football and the University of Missouri was doing really, really, really well because of a quarterback from Texas, um, like uh, Chase Daniel, maybe. Mm. Um, and so I had a lot of free time in my job as a admissions rep because the football team was doing so well that kids from Texas were feeling, filling out applications and sending them in um, from all over the place to Uh-oh. go to Mizzou. <laughs> so my job just was a lot easier mm-hmm. and I had a lot of free time to um, learn from Mercy Street, you know, meet with big brothers, big sisters, kind of learn a little bit more about this mentoring um mentoring uh youth and yeah um and then the churches in the neighborhood and and some schools that I met with and stuff so that was mm. the fall of 2007 I think and then I left the the job in um the summer of 2008 to go full time with the ministry mm. That's awesome. That's so. interesting how so many things kind of came together for that to happen and you know getting you paired yeah. up with just the right people Yes. Yes, it was. So um, I'm curious to hear, you know, you, what caused you or when did you finally feel like you should move into the community that you had grown to love and that you had been working with? Yeah. So that would connect also with um, what I just mentioned about uh, meeting uh, with and getting to know Trey Hill and Mercy Street mm-hmm. in West Dallas. And um, Trey um, was a educated middle-class white man um, yeah. and had moved. Um, he had um, a wife and I think already had four kids when they moved into West Dallas. And he's the one that um, shared that with me in that first meeting and just pointed out his window of his office and said, we live right over here. And, and um, yeah, you know, for me, the context of, first of all, never living in a major city or even a large city at all in my life, uh, really only growing up around primarily uh, only growing up around white people. Um, And so then to live in a major city and um, not really have a lot of negative con not a lot of really negative thought to living in any particular area, but kind of just, um, just didn't really know. I knew that people left, you know, left their home and moved to Africa, moved to China, moved. Um, you know, I, I had, um, been on mission trips myself. I knew people that moved, but I never, thought of or knew of this um this concept of moving into a particular neighborhood especially where it's you know maybe just a neighborhood that yeah is is you're going totally not um like it's not people like you not economically like you not ethnically like you um and especially then uh like you mentioned kind of the the stigma or these ideas of how unsafe it would be to live in certain neighborhoods or that you're putting yourself, you know, in, in these great levels of risk to live here Mm -hmm. or there because of just perceptions and things that, um, are sometimes perpetuated, you know, by the media or, or just movies and different things. And so that, so Trey and, and Mercy Street and many of the staff over there, that was the first time I had ever heard of it. Then I started attending CCDA conferences and, um, for like five years in a row, Christian Community Development Association, which, um, is also just another, uh, it's, it's really kind of a, an association or, um, of people all over the United States who live or, well, the relocation is one of their main values, but, um, but the main idea is ministering to, um, people in, um, urban or rural, um, context in America that are, um, just socio socioeconomically challenged. That's probably what the main way I would have seen it then, you know, now I'm much more, down the line into just the understanding of um, systemic injustices and things that play major factors into the communities um, that the CCDA, you know, would be serving in in communities where, or where the community where I live now. Mm, That's awesome. So um, you mentioned this 
phrase, and, I, and I've heard it used in different contexts, but um, living intentionally. And um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would assume when you moved into South Dallas, it wasn't like, I'm just going to do this so I'm closer to my work. <laughs> I think it probably right. was a whole lot more than that. So can you explain right. to mm-hmm. us maybe what your ideas of living intentionally might look like or did look like? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, you're right. It wasn't, it wasn't about a, a location shift just to, to have a shorter commute or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, uh, yeah. So living intentionally, I've, I've gone through kind of many different um, phases of how I would view this or even language I would use around it. But at the end of the day, um, you know, as believers, we should all be living intentionally wherever we are, whether right. we live in the same community we grow up in, or we live in, uh, you know, a wealthy environment, a middle-class environment and environment where everybody looks almost exactly what, the way we do, whatever it is. Um, we, in, in America, we, yeah, we should, we should all, well, wherever we are, we should be living, um, intentionally now, uh, for, for then this, this area and, or this draw to the culture and then the Lord kind of showing me, um, along the way, um, step-by-step, like what he wanted me to do in South Dallas, that meant that I, you know, was feeling led and and called to a community that was very different than me. Uh And so, um, I think that at least in my experience, you know, the idea of living intentionally and really trying to love our neighbor as ourselves, um, love the Lord through loving others, you know, advocating for others, um, administering to others, serving others. In my experience, it is has just been a lot easier for me to think like that and do that in an environment that's very different than, than where I grew up essentially. And so that may not be the case for everyone, but, um, but yeah, it, it, it just, and living intentionally would just be reading the Bible and growing in your, your understanding of God and, and the, the lens through which we see that we can live in different neighborhoods where, uh, houses and sidewalks and churches and, um, businesses look very different, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, um, the Lord cuts straight to the heart as far as like what's important to him is, is the people that were created in his image and that there's, um, not really, um, evil or brokenness outside of it's, it's not, it's not in buildings and it's not the streets and it's not the way things look, but it's in the hearts of man that we either know the Lord and are walking in that direction or we are not. And it, you know, um, America has a, a history of, you know, just kind of a lot of, you know, most Americans believing that they are Christians and, um, and a lot, you know, that, that only God knows, knows that for sure. But sometimes we look at certain communities and we see, um, we can see the brokenness a lot more, uh, clearly, or we, we see buildings and, um, things that are just not as pretty and together. And we can sometimes think that means there's just a lot, it's a, it's, there's just a lot, you know, that's just a lot worse of a neighborhood or that, Mm. uh, how do we say it? Like, um, it's, uh, oh, I wish I could think of some of the words people use or just yeah, the I mean, phrasing might, that sometimes. Like it's a rougher neighborhood or, you know, there's spiritual like darkness and things like that. That's things I've seen yes. whenever the, I guess, like maybe, maybe crime, maybe um, di- different things like that. You know, we're talking about like buildings. I'm In my mind, I'm picturing like yeah. graffiti. I'm picturing like torn down buildings. Yes. These very outward um, appearances that like something is wrong in the area. Like there's this broke right. down, like brokenness in the area because of the way that the environment looks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would say when I first started, when I first started coming into the neighborhood, working in the neighborhood, I mean, the Lord really had to flesh out a lot of that in me as far as like, um, at one point, uh, you know, early on living in an area of 
and there's there's about 30,000 people in South Dallas. So we're not talking about a small neighborhood. We're talking mm-hmm. about about eight or 10 different neighborhoods that make a community. But there is there are some areas where um, like there there is prostitution. I, yeah. I see it. I've I've seen you know, not yeah. just like, maybe that's a prostitute. Like, no, I, they, th- that's what's going <laughs> on here, you yeah. know? Um, and it's more overt. To, right. So there's that or overtness that you have to, 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 to be, you know, um, sober minded enough to connect that on the other end of, you know, middle-class educated America, we have this massive addiction to pornography, mm-hmm. not just men, mostly men, but also women. And like, in the eyes of the Lord, is there really that significant of a difference of brokenness? You know, we have pretty streets and there's never been a prostitute within five miles of here, but maybe men or women are sitting in their homes, you know, in, in, in the darkness themselves on this side, but in this neighborhood, there's actually prostitute. Well, okay. Is it really more broken over here or does it just look different? You know, we've got- And do we really think that the prostitutes are only servicing clients that are from that community? Like, oh yeah, yeah, go, yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah. There's definitely. I mean, I get looks, and I, I know from just friends and people that live in South Dallas that sometimes just even being white and driving through the neighborhood, they look at you and assume you are there for drugs or maybe if, if you know, men for prostitution. But yeah, why do white people? That's where a lot of white Mm. people come to get their drugs. Um, But yeah, drugs would be another example of like. We have a major drug addiction problem in our country. You know, in South Dallas, they're probably more likely to be addicted to drugs that are truly illegal. And then in areas like North Dallas or, you know, just middle class America, a lot of people are truly addicted to drugs that they have a legitimate prescription for or yeah. or is a prescribed drug, you know? And so yeah. the Lord just really had to, and he still does, just work mm-hmm. through a lot of things in me to go okay, maybe most, you know, white Americans like myself think these things and assume these things, but let's tease out and really work through the way the Lord sees those things. And I'll, I'll finish with this, but I, I have just noticed that Americans have a lot better time doing that with other countries and other cultures in other countries. And it's almost mm-hmm. like we have a lot more grace and way to pick apart and see things the way the Lord sees them in another country. But it seems Mm. like it's a little bit harder for people to do when it's urban environments in their own city or their own country. Yeah. You know, the verse in um, Samuel that talks about like man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart is coming to mind. And I think that that's, um, that's pretty, you know, pretty true. And, you know, maybe yeah. in some cultures it's, there's not as much, much of a need to like put up this veneer of like put, you know, this put together side or, you know, right. I, I would say in, you know, upper middle class white culture, you have to give this appearance of I've got it together. I, um, you know, everything is fine. Nothing to see here. And, right, and right. I, you know, you see, in a lot of ways that, you know, maybe other, uh, maybe a lower income area, maybe a different culture, you know, whatever it is, something that looks different than me, that may not be the case to have right. to keep up the need to present that everything is great, or at least, you know, my definition yeah. of great. They may have a different way of presenting that they've got it together. So Yeah, yeah. And then just, just culturally acceptable things that are, yeah, yeah just more accepted. And, and that, that's another, you know, just even that idea of culture and, and having to just really break down that like there's good and bad in every culture. Oh, yeah. And culture itself is, um, you know, yeah, not inherently right or wrong, but there are things about every culture um, that are are better than things in other cultures or, you know, the culture of South Dallas is a lot more relational and um, just personal and re- relational and helping each other out and, and, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, helping your neighbor and serving your neighbor. And that's a, that's a, a really good, yeah I would say, uh, honorable in the Lord's eyes quality, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, there's, there's things in, in the middle-class culture that, um, 
I don't have an example that comes to my mind right now, but there are things that are more, you know, um, yeah, I mean, but, yeah, there's, there there's are things admirable are things honorable. in every, mm-hmm. every culture. Yeah, no, Absolutely. that's, that's good. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, you talked earlier about, um, like safety being one thing that, um, maybe mm-hmm. people were concerned about. I don't, I don't know how your family responded when you were like, I'm going to move to the area I'm ministering to. I don't know if that was yeah. received well or if that was, you know, you're yeah. a single, you know, and Car- for those that don't know, you, you're you're kind of a shorty. I don't even know how tall you are. Uh-huh. I just remember you being yeah. like maybe, <laughs> yes, you know, I'm petite. You are petite. I'm a petite white woman. Yeah. Yes. But, a little bit less petite after I had two children. But, um, <laughs> but you are already still. strong. But I, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you're, you see, seemingly, you know, I could see how people would be concerned over safety in an area where you look like maybe in in some people's eyes, yeah. it might be you're an easy target. Um, yeah. But I think that the, you know, I don't know how, how that was received, but I, I think that one of the things that's kind of coming to my mind about this is that like safety is kind of this perception. Like we think we're safe, yeah. but like... <laughs> You know, we don't always, yeah. you know, it's, we are not safe from other things. Maybe, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts right. on that? You look like you want to say something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, I, I've i been blessed to um, work with and get to know just a lot of friends that also either either worked with me in the ministry or just moved into the neighborhood, um, even uh, part of a church together for a little while. And so, a lot of people from different backgrounds and experiences other than me, you know, we, we have these conversations a lot because in running the organization, we have, you know, we mentored over 400 kids, over 300 different mentors, or maybe it was three or 400 different mentors throughout mm-hmm. the process. Sometimes mentors express concern about, will it be safe for me to drive into the neighborhood after dark or, yeah. um, or, you know, we, we've had grown adults parents call us at the organization and ask if it will really be safe for their for their daughter you know to Mm -hmm. be there or whatever or maybe to state that she just couldn't she couldn't do that I don't know that's a whole other conversation but so that that conversation I mean I'm you know 10 or 15 years into this conversation where um, you know, one of one of my friends um, would always say, and he worked at Champions Hope also, that like safety is really an illusion. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, God know our days are numbered, and God knows. God also calls us to wisdom; He yeah. does, but He also calls us in the middle of that is also He calls us to lay down our lives. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I just think there's a lot of things that go into that safety idea. I mean, we do live in the safest. Um, this, you know, I mean, from a worldly view of safety, we live in America, we live in, in probably the safest country on the planet, yet some people are more willing to pack up and move overseas somewhere to somewhere that, you know, they know different facts about than to drive into a neighborhood late at night to mentor a child. And so yeah. we just, um, you know, had another um, pastor, um, Adam Thomason had, you know, pointed out to me, you know, a story of missionaries who were living among a tribe that practiced cannibalism at different times. And there was a story where the fam, the missionary family, the Christians were in their home one night and they, uh, I'm trying to think of how exactly it went, but they just felt led to pray, to, to spend hours after dinner praying, or maybe it was all night long or something to just pray for this, um, maybe kind of ritualistic event that the tribe was going to be um, having that night. And they were just praying and they, they were just praying for conversions and for people to come to know the Lord. Well, someone told them maybe the next day or, or later that the tribe was actually going to come to take one or all of them and, and kill them for that celebration that night. But when they started coming towards their home or they looked up on the hill or whatever it was, there was an aura, there was a, a great, uh, like a light light or a cloud just covering their home. And they saw it in the tribe. Like they like, what in the world? Like we, 
we can't go in there. What is that? And so there's just things that are like, we walk with the Lord in wisdom. We walk in prayer. Of course, we pray for our safety. My, my children, um, I pray for their safety all the time. I remember the first time I heard a gunshot probably within a block of our house with my little tiny newborn daughter in the bedroom right next to us. Like, I remember that. I pray for our safety all the time. Our home was broken into a couple weeks ago um, for the first time in um, Mm. 10 years of living in South Dallas. But I pray for safety all the time. But is Jesus and his gospel and his call to minister to the poor, to lay down your life to take up your cross and follow him worth moving somewhere that might statistically be a little bit less safe than some other neighborhoods. It might, I don't look it up. I don't, I I don't necessarily know for sure what specific things I'm in greater risk risk for. I mean, I've lived, I've lived here 10 years and um, a lot of the violence is domestic or drug related late at night. Um, but yeah, it, it, we have to just really consider, are we holding on to safety? And then I would say comfort is the other thing, but, um, comfort, there are no, you know, there's not a whole foods or a good, you know, healthy drive throughs in my neighborhood. That's not comfortable to me, but you know, there's just stuff that we just have to let go of. Um, but yeah, are we, are we elevating, um, safety, Um, I had a lot of people tell me, you know, yeah, God calls us to do things, but is that wise? You know, I don't Mm. know if that's wise for you to be there. Um, And, and, you know, lastly, I'll just share this story. Um, There was a point where I had um, been at a conference and heard Francis Chan and then actually got to speak for his wife to his wife for about 27 seconds or something in (laughs) passing. And she pointed out. Um, yeah, she just, she basically didn't answer my question about if I kind of pointing to my short little person body, I said, should I move to this neighborhood? And she actually told me to read this book called Chasing the Dragon um, by uh, missionary Jackie Pollinger. I yeah, think she yeah. was from, oh yeah, that, that book has changed my life. I need to read it again. Mm. Um, but she just said, read this book. And of course it was like, I just wanted a yes or a no. But I, I read, then I moved in with some girls didn't buy the book yet, moved in with some, some girls that had a room open, not in, not in South Dallas yet. I'm not yeah. there yet. And, um, standing in one of their doorways run one day and there's a book laying on her bed. And I'm like, what is that book? And she's like, Oh, it's called chasing the dragon. I was like, okay, Lord, you want me to read this book? <laughs> um, she finished it in a couple days. We had a big uh, ice storm and she was stuck home. She finished it, handed it to me. It changed my life. And that was the last apartment I lived in before moving to South Dallas. And I emailed the elder board at um, my church at the time and want and said, Hey, you guys know me, you know that I'm not married and I can tell you I don't have a dog and I don't have a gun and I don't have a roommate, but I think I'm going to move to South Dallas. <laughs> and if any of you have anything to say, ask, whatever, I've made this decision and I don't know when it's going to work itself out, but I'm going to do this. And so mm-hmm. one of the elders and his wife asked me to coffee and they were not in any way trying to talk me out of it. This is a, a white couple that lived in a pretty well-off suburb in the North, North Dallas area, but they just said, well, you know, here's one question we have for you. Like what, what if somehow you could see forward and that you were going to move in the neighborhood and a week later, or maybe it was like a month later or whatever you, uh, I think this is what they said, but like it, that, that you, you did get killed, you died. Like, and, and that you, that, that was how your life ended or whatever. Like what, what would you, what would you say to that? And would you not go if you, knew that was going to, or, or yeah. something, something okay. along those lines. I and, um, I live, I had, I lived on this, um, this trail in Dallas, um, at some point, um, or I probably at that point on the, it's called the Katie trail and it's a running trail. And right, um, that week before I met with them, there was, um, uh, on the side of the trail were all these flowers and these bouquets and things for this young woman that had died there. And mm. she had died running on the Katy trail, um, simply because she had her ear pods in or her earbuds and she didn't signal or look behind her when she turned to the left or the right to turn around and another man on a bike, he had a right to be on the trail as well, but he was going pretty fast on a bike and she 
kind of took a hard left to turn back around and do a U-turn and go back the other way in the trail. And he collided with her and she, she died on the trail. And so I told them that story. She was my age. I think we were 20, I think I was 28 at the time. And I said, you know, I just, I see this every day when I run on the trail and that all she did was go out for a run. Like God knows what he's going to do when he's going to do it. And he's, Mm -hmm. he's, he's going to protect us until the day it's supposed to happen. And are we going to, you know, and so, um, you know, here we are 10 years later, I'm, I'm fine. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's, you know, it's easy to say in hindsight, but that, that's just, that was something the Lord used to just be like, you know, life is life on this earth is finite. And, um, it's not about us. It's not supposed to be about us. Um, and we are going to have eternity with the Lord. So, um, what, what should we hold on to so tightly here that cannot be taken with us? Mm. Well, that's a sermon right there. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I think it's something that like, and I mean, you know, I don't know who all listens to my podcast, but I know that it's a lot of moms that do, cause it's people that I know personally. Okay. Um, that's, that's so much of parenting is like mm. letting go of that idea that I have control over really hardly anything in life. Um, yeah. That's, ooh, that's a hard thing to do. Um, and like you said, it's not like, you know, you got to have wisdom. It's not like I'm, yeah. you know, telling my kids, hey guys, do whatever. I'm not going to check in on what you're doing. I'm not going to check right. on what you're watching online or the people you're spending time with. But yeah. When we think we have control over something or when we really think mm-hmm. that we can control the situation, we don't really understand how how messed up our world is, for one. Like, we live in a yeah. very broken world, and we don't messed up— or we don't understand how messed up, like, the human heart really is because if people want mm-hmm. to deceive, then they will deceive. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we just—we really have a, a faulty understanding of how the world works and— and uh, and our act- right. our ability to control anything. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, after our home was broken into, we took measures to make our door harder to kick in, and we have mm. a camera outside now, and um, and uh, you know, even different type of door, and and, and there are yeah. things that we are doing, um, and um, yeah, there are there are things that. Are why I, I and I have also noticed this juxtaposition. I think that would be the word of just like things that can look like um, they're done out of fear or wisdom, and it's really the other sometimes. But that's yeah. really about the motivation of the heart. I mean, when I pull up, you know, um, have, there's a lot of panhandlers that just coming in and out of our neighborhood every single day. I'm at different intersections with. Um, different people um, panhandling and um, I've gotten to know a lot of them that are on my normal path and I you know might know them by name or just by face or short conversation and I I'm totally comfortable but if I pull up in my own neighborhood um, with especially if it's a man um, right by my window um, that I'm not familiar with I'd reach over and lock my door but I'm not I'm not doing it out of freaking out or being afraid. Now, if I was coming into my neighborhood at 3 a.m. and he was acting a little crazy, maybe I would. Yeah. But I'm just doing it out of like, I think this is, especially when I have my kids in the car, I just think this is wisdom. You know, there's yeah. mental health issues. There could be drugs involved or not. But I lock the door. Um, sometimes I roll down the window a little bit and talk or, or hand, you know, something out the window, um, just depending on what I have or what they're um, asking for at the time. But I think that you can lock your door out of fear or you mm-hmm. can lock your door the same exact action just out of wisdom of like yeah. I don't I don't want him to yank my door open. He's probably very, very, very small chance that he would, but yeah. I have a door lock, so I'll just lock it. You know, um, yeah. I had some <laughs> I had a man and a woman get in a fight once. They were both hand- panhandlers arguing at a, about whose corner it was or whatever. And they ended up on the hood of my car one time, um, fighting with each other. Um, I just sat there and like, looked to the people to the left of me, like, Hey, this is interesting. Um, but all kinds of experiences, but, um, you know, 
I, I went from being really frustrated when homeless people inconvenienced my day when I was an executive director of an organization and I needed to be here or there. I was supposed to meet with this principal or go meet with this donor. And I, you know, I've grown from being like annoyed and inconvenienced to this person is made in the image of God. Yeah. And, um, you know, just, just the heart change that God does when you're just really faced with things that do inconvenience you and that you're, um, not used to and, and just things that you see every day. My kids see every day yeah. that you don't see in, um, you know, a lot of other neighborhoods. Mm. Um, can you share with us maybe an unexpected blessing that's come from ministering in your community? Yeah. Um, I was thinking about that question. Um, the first thing I wrote down is that I did meet my husband in the neighborhood. So yeah. an unexpected blessing. You can share I, about that if um, you want. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I was six or seven years into um, uh, running the organization when I met him. He was involved in um, some other ministries in the neighborhood, but that was kind of just me being silly about an unexpected blessing. <laughs> um, so yeah, met him and um, was thankful to. Um, thankful to be given a spouse that was, um, uh, willing and along, you know, interested and willing and, and maybe, uh, yes, I would say called to doing to, to urban ministry. And so, yeah. but, um, yeah, I would say just, um, you know, people sometimes sanctification is not a word that comes off as a positive one, but just, just being so sharpened and challenged and grown, just, just, closer to the Lord. I mean, I sure I've grown in some knowledge and some understanding, but at the end of the day, just closer to and more dependent on the Lord because of the things he's grinded against me and my own will and my own thoughts and my own desires. Um, and, um, yeah, I think when you step out of your, your comfort zone, that is, um, maybe a lot more likely to happen or it happens a lot quicker. I, I don't know. But, um, and then, uh, yeah, just relationships also just relationships in a culture with different values. Um, mm-hmm. so I was running an organization and, you know, occasionally that's like meeting with, you know, or, or a lot of meetings with, you know, uh, middle-class educated people. And we start that meeting at 1102 and we're done by 12 o'clock and, you know, this is what we do and I need to wear these type of clothes, but also, um, just being able to grow, um, through relationships in a neighborhood with different values that are not wrong, uh, but just different of, of time, what, what you value, with your time, what's more important than being efficient or more important than being right on time or, um, you know, getting to the bottom of a meeting and, you know, this short of time when, you know, this is really going on with a person involved, stopping to pray over things. Um, so yeah, Mm. just those, those are the things I would say. That's awesome. So, um, what are some things you wish you would have done differently um, when it came to ministering to your community and living in this community? Yeah. Um, so I think what I just described about uh, just growing in relationships with people from the neighborhood is not something that I started out doing well at yeah. all. And so I was probably um, sort of a combination of just a, a, a personality that, you know, more introverted, okay, I'm going to sit in my office and grind it out and get things done Mm -hmm. to, to some degree, like a savior mentality Mm. of like, you know, we've got these kids and, you know, statistically kind of headed this direction. Okay. We've got these people that are ready to mentor. Oh, the mom's trying to have a conversation right now. I don't know. We, I've got other, like, just, I did not do that well, um, at all as valuing, um, people and relationships over kind of checking off what I thought I needed to do on this day or meeting this, you know, deadline by this time. And so that's what I would do differently is, um, yeah, just remember to value people and relationships over some other things. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, um, I, I mean, I think that would really be the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're a white person moving into, uh, well, I mean, with a white person moving into at least South Dallas and probably any predominantly black, um, urban, lower economic area, like you, um, you women might be trusted a little more quickly than like, let's say a white man moving into the neighborhood maybe, but, um, you, you need to be, uh, humble. Um, and you're going to have to, you're not automatically going to be like trusted and loved. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean you're going to be treated poorly or, you know, out overtly wrong or, you know, in ways that are just clearly like mean or rude, but you, you kind of have to earn, you have to earn some, um, respect and, um, earn relationships and, and just accept the fact. And this was really hard. This took, um, having, you know, different people that have lived with us in our marriage, um, people from, um, the neighborhood, um, that learn that like, um, race even in relationship and really, really getting to know someone really well, um, a lot of times race is just still going to be a thing that leaves a little bit of a, of a, of a barrier or a little bit of a, um, barrier to vulnerability for, for, um, maybe other people or, or a barrier to understanding that you may not realize, you know, sometimes I look back at things and it takes, years for me to look back at a situation and see how I um, communicated or what I said or what I expected and just be like, oh my gosh, okay, now I understand the culture a little bit better or these, you know, this, just the background and the the web of all of the things that come into the situation and how I try to, you know, take over and save the day or say what I felt and everybody said or whatever. And like, yeah, just see that like you're going to be the learner you're going you're it doesn't matter your education um your education your experience your intentions um or even your maturity in the lord if you're moving into a neighborhood um i i can just speak for at least as a white person and moving into a minority neighborhood you just need to sit down sometimes most of the time to view yourself (laughs) as like i'm a learner here now god's God's way and God's truth is the the things that are really, you know, clearly defined um, are are good and true everywhere, no matter where you go. Yeah. But um but you're you're in a you're you're not on you're in a different territory and you you don't know. You yeah. you don't know the experiences and the reality of um the people that you're ministering to and you, it takes a lot of work to, um, to just sometimes shut your mouth. Yeah. That's, that's what I've learned. And I'm still, well, I'm, I hope I've learned it a little Mm. bit, but I'm, no, that's, that's that's really good. And I think that the stuff you brought up about, um, not being trusted initially is really good. Um, it's really, it's really interesting because I mean you have to imagine like if if you grew up in South Dallas and I I don't know if the neighborhood is like completely African American or what it looks like but from what you're describing like it if you grew up in a neighborhood that's completely black and then this random white girl moves in she doesn't look like she belongs here you're mm-hmm. you're going to wonder what what's going on and then all of a sudden there's th- this girl she you know she's you find out that she's doing this mentoring thing she wants to hang out with her kids she wants to do these things like what's her angle and like what is she mm-hmm. trying to get and like a little bit of suspicion is is normal just like you know with my mm-hmm. kids if somebody i didn't know came into the neighborhood and wanted to hang out with them and wanted to spend time getting to know them i'm going to be you better believe I'm going to be a little suspicious. Like, if I don't know you well and you want to hang out with my kid or you want to, you know, be a part of my yeah. life, like I'm, I'm going to look at you a little bit. Like, okay, are you worthy of trust? And, um, mm-hmm. and so I, I get that, and I think sometimes we, we take that for granted because you're like, oh, I came here to do all these good things in the neighborhood, and 
It's like, well, right. that that's my perception of it. That may not be how they're perceiving it. So I think that you're, mm-hmm. you know, keeping sh- your mouth shut a little bit more than we normally do is probably a good thing. And mm-hmm. asking a lot of questions is probably um, mm-hmm. a good way to to learn. I mean, ask questions right. and really listen when people answer. And um, I think yeah. that's a a big thing when you're doing any kind of like ministry work or um, even from a non-religious standpoint, like work where you're trying to help humanitarian work, I guess, like mm-hmm. asking the people that you're you're working with or that you're ministering to is so important to accomplishing goals. Like, you know, is the goal mm-hmm. really in their eyes, do they really want like a pretty school building or do they want, you know, help with this completely different area that would have never crossed our mind? And so sometimes we yeah. go in thinking this is the need. But yeah. if you ask the community, what are your needs, then you get a whole different answer. You, you know, empower people mm-hmm. from the com- community to be a part of your, you know, advisors, mm-hmm. then you get different mm-hmm. answers than people that look like you or people that grew up in your similar environment. So I think yeah. it's, that's really important. And I think that's, that's a lot of wisdom. And I, I'm a, I think it's really awesome that you, you did that in a lot of ways and obviously not perfectly because none of us do that mm-hmm. but you know learning from it's super yeah. important so yeah. um what uh is there any other advice or encouragement that you would maybe want to leave our listeners with yeah um you know i can only speak from my story but i would say that um it just seems to be kind of in um, in in the the nature of um, urban ministry or similar type of things that it's just so easy to have and not even really see it or realize it at first, but just to have kind of a savior mentality that yeah. um, I'm coming to I'm coming to do this good. I'm coming to add this value or I'm bringing, you know, maybe at kind of probably I would say worst case scenario, like I'm helping bring Jesus to this community. Now, of course, there are areas in the world Uh um, and maybe, you know, maybe some things in the United States, I don't know, but where, you know, there are unreached people groups and and things like that. But for the most part in urban America, like Jesus is... um, Jesus is there and he's been there a a long time. And, um, and, you know, to just to, just to really think through a lot of your own, um, thoughts or even just phrases that you hear maybe come out of your, your mouth, whether this is, you know, whether you're someone who's considering, um, like full-time urban service or you just do some things on Thanksgiving or, Mm -hmm. um, Christmas, just to, just to really think through some stuff. Um, and, um, and, and with that, to, to couple that with, um, I would say just like knowing that, or I'm, I'm, I'm saying and suggesting that like at least half of the call that you're feeling, at least half of it is, is actually God doing it for you. There's Mm. actually, it's, you know, it's not just about, oh, because you're supposed to serve, but what does God want to teach you and grow in you and sharpen you with and, and, and bring you to maturity through, um, this, um, this connection or this, this situation, this time, this, this relationship or this just hour that you're going to serve or whatever with these people made in his image that just happened to be born into a different place and situation than you what is he really trying to teach you for your own heart and your own understanding of him or just your own, um, uh, just your own sharpening of beliefs or assumptions. And, um, you know, I, I would just venture to guess that in the eyes of the Lord, that's at least half of what he's trying to do. And, Mm. and sometimes, you know, it, you know, it's, it's maybe even more than that. Um, just the things that the Lord, um, wants to do in us where he maybe takes us from a place of higher education, education, higher economic class or privilege or experience to, 
um, you know, work with a, a person or a group of people that don't quote unquote have that. And it's easy to think that you're bringing something um, to the table. Uh, whereas God's saying, well, let's just all sit down at the table and see what we can all really learn from each other here. Right. Mm, that's good. Well, Carly, thank you so much for taking your time today to just chat with me. I appreciate it. And, oh, uh, no problem. Yeah. It's been great. I've loved every minute of it. I love Carly's humility in showing how she is still learning how to live among and love a community that is so different than where she grew up. I also love how she challenged us to not make safety an idol, but to go where the Lord calls you. I pray that this episode was a blessing to you. If you love The Faithful Podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. Reviews help people find the podcast so that it can be a blessing to them. And while you're there, remember to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. You can find me at faithfulpodcast.podbean.com or on Instagram at faithfulpodcast. Have a great week and remember to stay faithful, friends.